Welcome to the Next Level Leaders Podcast with me, Dr. Joseph Walker. This podcast is designed to offer strategies and moving vision to reality. Leaders can expect to be mentored, inspired, challenged to succeed at the next level. So prepare to be exposed, empowered, and equipped for excellence. Thank you for connecting and allowing this space to become an opportunity for growth and collaborative learning. Now, let's go on this journey together and spark the change we wish to see in ourselves, our teams, and the world. I'm Bishop Joseph Juan Walker III, pastor of the Mount Zion Church of Nashville, Tennessee. A few weeks ago, I shared with you my heart concerning the coronavirus and its impact upon our culture as well as our community. I shared that on the Ricky Smiley platform on his Facebook page, and many of you reached out to me and told me that you shared the same sentiments as well as you wanted to be involved in solutions. I was so encouraged by that, and as a consequence, we've developed a series of conversations called Pastoring Through a Pandemic. And we want to have high-level conversations that provide strategies, solutions, to help our community and our church leaders navigate through this unprecedented time. It is a fact that COVID-19 has revealed much about our communities and our churches. It has really shown us a heightened sense of individualism as well as reactionary leadership and the failure both of those things have had in helping us work through and mitigate this issue of coronavirus. It has exposed the great divide of economic disparities as well as health disparities in our community and put a demand upon the church to reimagine who it needs to be in light of the communities by which it serves. Many churches now struggling with innovation, trying to figure out technology to be relevant and sustainable and don't have the practical skill sets to do it. This conversation you're going to hear today is going to provide some solutions to help leaders and help churches become more innovative and give them strategies on how to engage this post-COVID culture. It is also important to understand that we need to hear the truth around COVID and its impact upon an underserved community. We need to hear the truth and how we can protect ourselves and protect our families is incredibly important. To that end, we've assembled a great convocation of influence, ranging from pastors, thinkers, medical doctors, to help you engage in a robust conversation that moves this needle forward to help us come through this together. And we will get through it together. Let's go in. We call this one Grace for a New Space. Well, thank you so much for joining this very timely discussion. It is important for us today to really delve into this because our communities need us to address these particular issues that are impacting not only our church, but impacting our world. Let me introduce our amazing guest today, and I'm so incredibly grateful to have. He is uh, the pastor of uh, the Elizabeth uh, Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, a great man of God, Pastor Craig Oliver. Let me also introduce to you the pastor of the Lighthouse Church of Houston, Texas. We're so happy to have him, an incredible leader, reaching so many millennials, uh, and I appreciate him being on as well, Pastor Keon Henderson. The Devil Barrel Shotgun out of Houston, Texas. There he is, pastor of the Higher Dimension Church. That's the other part of who's reaching all of these millennials there and doing incredible work in the social media space as well, Pastor Terrence Johnson. Let me also introduce to you uh, a pastor who is particularly one who has been an incredible paradigm for innovation. His church is a cutting edge ministry. He's He's one of those people who's, who, who loves being under the radar, but his ministry continues to push him beyond the radar, and he is one of the most humble men I know. I'm thankful for him 
uh, pastor of the First Baptist Church Glen Arden, uh, Pastor John Jenkins. We also thank God today uh, for a young man who is doing extraordinary work in the virtual space. He is uh, one who has written a book on engaging churches in this innovative space and uh, certainly goes around the country helping churches transition. And uh, he works in our area, helping our virtual ministry and platform go to different heights. And of course, I appreciate him, uh, Elder Dakari Middlebrooks. Also, I want to introduce as many of you, Dr. Stephanie Walker, who is a neonatologist by trade. She is a master of public health from Harvard. Uh, she spent most of her life really concerned about these disparities that impact our community and health. And uh, she really has a passion for helping the church and the community come together in solving many of these health crises and these pre-existing conditions that obviously we need to address on this particular talk today. Thank you, Dr. Walker. We're so grateful to have uh, the founder of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship. Of course, uh, he is truly one who is innovative enough. He's been through many different dispensations in the kingdom, and he's constantly remained relevant. And he's one that can really help us understand what it means to understand change and uh, one who has done it well in so many different generations and continues today uh, to be relevant and streaming and all of that. And we thank God for the pastor of the Changing Generation Full Gospel Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, Bishop Paul Sylvester Morton. And of course, we thank God for a man who has been used as a general among us to speak to culture and one who has addressed many of these issues every single day uh, to the world in a, very, in a way that has been impactful and one who has spent much of his time really helping the church do ministry outside the walls and understanding the economic impact of what we do, not only that, but so involved in, in the social space of helping people every single day as a humanitarian, a pastor, and one who is truly, truly touching lives, not only here, but all around the world. He is Bishop T.D. Jakes. Thank all of you so much uh, for being with us today. And this is a series of conversations that uh, has really spawned out of many conversations that have happened around this pandemic. And I want to just begin, first of all, talking about this pandemic and what we're dealing with. And I want to start actually with Dr. Walker uh, and, and giving some context on uh, this COVID-19. Clearly, this is something that has arrested the community and particularly the Black community in terms of how it has impacted us in disproportionate ways. And so I want to kind of lay as a foundation, uh, what is this thing doing? What is it? And how is it impacting us in the way it is if we're not in the majority of the population? No, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic question to start with. I think one of the first things that we just want to step out and say is that health disparities are not new, right? Health disparities have been around for, you know, years. And so right now, what the COVID-19 is actually doing is really just uncovering the or revealing the problems that have existed and just have been neglected for, you know, years. And so specifically for the African-American community, when it comes to health disparities, we know in general um, that COVID-19 attacks those that are at higher risk in terms of death rates, okay? So we know that those who are at higher risk are dying of COVID-19 at higher rates than other populations. So what are those risk factors? Those risk factors are those things that hit our African-American populations the hardest, such as hypertension, such as diabetes, such as obesity, such as connective tissue disorders like lupus and sarcoidosis and, you know, mixed connective tissue disorders and undifferentiated connective tissue disorders. But also you're thinking about um, HIV, which is another virus that when, you know, 
haywire, you know, back in the 80s. But then you're also talking about cancers, which African-Americans are dying from at greater rates than, than other populations. So all these things combined make us in general at greater risk. But these are things that we deal with on a regular basis on a normal day. So then you layer COVID-19 on top of that. And that's what we're dealing with. And that's what we're seeing. But that's not it, right? So you're thinking about just what we're dealing with on an everyday basis in terms of our health. But then you have to layer on poor access to healthcare on a regular basis. Then you have to layer on this whole idea of misinformation. Very early on when COVID-19 was first sort of put out there in the media, you were hearing stories about sort of well-to-do Caucasians who were going out and traveling and coming back after their luxury vacations. So the word on the street was this didn't bother or impact black people. And so as a result, a lot of us, a lot of the people in our communities didn't take it seriously, didn't take the necessary precautions. And then on top of that, you have to deal with this idea of social distancing. That's a luxury. Being able to go to your home, whether it be in the suburbs or wherever, and be away from people is a luxury, right? And so you layer on poverty and economics. And so for our people who are in urban communities, are people who are in crowded projects or homeless shelters or in prisons or jails, you know, that's a whole nother beast on top of COVID-19, right? And so it just makes it easier for that to spread in those communities. And then you layer on top of all of that, the fact that, you know, when they call for essential workers, everyone stay home. Staying home is a luxury. Our essential workers typically look like us. Yes, we have, you know, our representation, of course, in doctors and nurses and frontline workers, but let's not forget our essential workers who are janitors and cooks and mailmen and bus drivers and people who don't have the luxury of staying home. And then in the very beginning, many of these individuals didn't even have the proper protective equipment. And then, of course, let's not forget our, our supermarket workers. And so all of these things combined is why we find ourselves in this situation. So it's not just one thing, but what it does is this whole COVID-19 really just uncovered what's been going on and what's been neglected for years and years and years. Right. Thank you. Wow. Bishop Jakes, you know, the church has obviously... Uh, I think, in some sense, not address this health issue head on. We've obviously skirted around it and we've kind of glorified a lot of things, you know, in terms of how we're eating and things of that nature. And, you know, health has kind of been on the back burner. And now we often talk about how COVID has caught our health system and our politicians off guard. It's clearly caught the church off guard. What do you think should be the church's now response and posture in dealing with this issue of health and disparities and how we address it as a body of Christ. If we are going to, first of all, thank you for hosting this panel, inviting me to be a part of it. Uh, It is my thought that if we're going to really leave an indelible impression on our community and effectively help with health disparities, we also have to address the food deserts that exist in our communities, uh, the propensity of certain types of food chains to target our communities with unhealthy foods that do not target other communities. Uh, I don't believe that the church by itself can do anything extremely effective. I think our strength is in our ability to partner with elected officials, 
CEOs and community leaders, that four-pronged approach to lifting up a problem becomes very, very effective. Our people have been trained to think of the church of being sort of a United Nations that it can do all things by itself. And then when we make those promises and don't live up to them, then we face great criticism. The reality is that the church is right now, when the community suffers, the church suffers. So one of the things that we can do, though, is convene these types of forums with influencers and begin to put up some safeguards in our community as it relates to eradicating food deserts. Then we can teach better eating habits, offering cuisine classes, doing online tutorials for healthier styles of cooking, because most of us cook like our mothers. We cook like our grandmothers. We cook with fat back and hog malls and seasoned stuff with pork and all that kind of stuff because that's where, where we came from, which goes all back to slavery legacy. And so we, we have developed an appetite for eating what was left rather than what is right. And I think that we can be instrumental in that regard and we can use our platform to disseminate information. But the strongest impact this means we have to influence the, the Kroger's, the Walmart's, the grocery stores, the CVS's to come into those communities and make accessible to our people medical help and food desert eradication and then awareness. And I think we have to use our influence to prod the city officials and the CEOs to become more responsible in being inclusive and not just targeting zones and area codes, zip codes, based on a per, per medium, per capita media income. Pastor John Jenkins, you spent a lot of time collaborating. You do that quite well. And obviously, I know you served on the board of a bank and you understand the economic impact and disparities that exist, particularly now. There's not only the health disparity, but the economic disparity. And what are you seeing now? Obviously, many folks are being furloughed, and obviously there's a lot of funding and things out there that people can have access to. And of course, it's going back and forth about how we're running out of money and getting it. And so what do you see now the church's role in helping folks access that capital? And, and what have you been able to do at First Baptist Glenorden to help your community in this particular area? Thank you, Bishop. I want to echo what uh, Bishop Jakes has said already. I appreciate greatly you having me to be a part of this this group of distinguished men and your beautiful wife. I'm honored to be on this, uh, this panel. So our church has taken an aggressive stance in helping our members and the community. And I want to add some things that Bishop Jakes has talked about that we've been involved in doing. We are talking to and challenging the political leaders of our community in terms of their response to how they can help our, our membership and uh, just the people in the community. Uh, the other thing that uh, we're doing that the church, we had not been as actively involved, but we're much more actively involved now. It's not just talking to uh, the political leaders. We're actually putting political leaders in office. We are backing um, both legally and discreetly people who have a higher interest, not in their own political careers, but in fact, making a difference in the decisions that they make for the community. So uh, we recently played uh, a part, one of our members is the county executive, and we're encouraging that person to put people in positions of power and authority to help the people in the community. Our church is also, uh, you know, we're doing what so many other churches are doing. We're feeding families. We're 
training entrepreneurs. We have a ministry that all they do is train entrepreneurs about how they manage their money, how they get connected in the political process of getting funding for things. We're training them and exposing to them the kind of things, which we haven't had that available to us in the past. We've been hidden and blocked out, but now we are we got people in position and we are making sure that our members and the community get the appropriate information so they can make great decisions and be in a good posture. Thank you so much. I want to I want to take a shift here. I you know obviously the church itself has to reimagine this virtual space and how we interact with people. It is definitely a new terrain for many people. I want to first address this to Bishop Paul Morton and then I want Elder Dakari Middlebrooks to come and chime in right after him. Bishop Morton, you've been able to transition to different eras. And here you are being incredibly relevant in terms of transitioning into the virtual space. Can you talk about why it was easy for you to transition and what are you saying to other pastors in your cohort, your generation, to help them remain relevant and viable in this generation? Thank you so much, uh, Presiding Bishop. And you know, I appreciate you and thank you for including me in this number today. This is very, very important, I believe, uh, for the world. I thank God because uh, in the 80s, uh, that's when I realized how important it was even to go on national television uh, where I could reach the world because so many times we get stuck within the four walls and we think that's it. Got a packed house, all the house is packed. But how many souls are we missing? And that becomes important. Now the problem that we face, and that's why I think it's so very, very important to talk about the virtual church because it's important in this day and time because this is the way that we have to go. At least there has to be a balance. I believe uh, people will, of course, come back to the house of God, but then we cannot be anti-virtual church. Uh, listen, I know it's so difficult for people to change, and that's the problem. I've, I've just been an agent of change. I'm about to turn 70 years old, but I still believe in change because the future belongs to those who are open to positive change. And so even in our name, changing a generation becomes important. We're called changing a generation because change never stops. Uh, you, you, you've got to keep changing. You've got to keep developing if you're going to fulfill your purpose. The problem that a lot of people face, and that's why we're going to meet the needs of people, I'm telling you, it's very, very important that the sheep hear from their shepherd when they're going through like this coronavirus. They need to hear the voice of their shepherd. We cannot go to the house of God at this particular time, but we ought to thank God for the virtual church because we're able to still reach people. And even, maybe you just have a few members, but you ought to at least do a, a online call, phone call uh, with your members. They need to hear your voice because you have a lot of people out there who steal sheep, shepherds who steal sheep. So we have to be careful as it relates to what we're doing in this season for the virtual church. So listen, 
I would recommend even to pastors who've never developed to this level of the virtual church, always remember, and this is important, marry the mission, but date the method. Marry the mission, but date the method. Too many people you want to marry the method. You're not supposed to marry the method. I've changed a lot of methods because as times change, then I have to change. When I got married, you know, my mission was to marry Deborah Brown. That was the mission. Now, she was trying to play hard to get. And so while she was playing hard to get, I had to practice my methods. So I would take other young ladies to the movies. I would take them to uh, the restaurant, but I didn't want them to get the idea. Listen now, <laughs> I'm just dating. Ain't nothing serious here because I had a mission. And that's the way that we have to feel about what we are doing for God. The foundation has to be strong, winning the loss, preaching the gospel. That's the mission. But methods change. So while we cannot even be in the building right now, the house of God, the building, we've got to use different methods. And so that's why the virtual church is important. If we're going to survive, I believe that we've got this opportunity now to really learn those who have not been involved in the virtual church. Even going back to the house of God, at least if you set up the virtual church so that you'll be able to minister to more people outside of the walls of the house of God, that's where the blessing comes in. So I believe in the virtual church. Wow. Thank you so much, Bishop Morton. And, you know, I've always believed that success is about surrounding yourself with the people who are bright and innovative and one of the things I've done is surround myself with a lot of young people in Nashville. We've been able to have so many students who come through and one young man on this, on this uh, panel now, he left Morehouse and came to Vanderbilt Divinity School. I remember very specifically uh, him being a millennial, but sitting down with me in a Starbucks and we began envisioning this virtual space and I turned it over to him. It put us seven years ahead in terms of actually developing a, a, a virtual space. And uh, Dakari, I want you to speak to, to the things you've learned. You know, being a millennial, you guys have owned this space when you were a millennial. Now, I know millennials now are no longer millennials. You're a little much older. But, but in terms of how you have seen many churches struggle, Bishop Morton is certainly uh, an example of what transition looks like in innovation. You know, I often said you can't have an, an eight-track ministry in a downloadable generation. It just doesn't work. Here you are now helping churches uh, move into this space of virtual ministry and innovation. And can you talk about some of the struggles you've had and some of the things and some of the hopes you have in terms of helping these churches move into this space? Because it's really not the future, it's right now. Yes, thank you, Bishop, one, for the opportunity to be a part of this amazing group of leaders. I've studied all of you all, and I'm grateful uh, to be here to not only engage, but also to learn and continue to get more wisdom um, from this call. I think to address this properly, I think we have to deal with this idea that has been employed by our churches, which is fake it until you make it. I believe what this pandemic has done, Dr. Oliver, is that it hasn't caused a problem as much as it has revealed one, which is faking it until you make it only works when no one's watching. But now everybody's watching. And I think it's done two things. 
Bishop Jakes, I think it's one, it has exposed our vulnerabilities, shining a light on our truth. And Bishop Morton, I think also has crippled our infrastructure, showing us who and what is essential. Many leaders and pastors created ministries based on the presence of people always being available and present. That made sense, Dr. Steph, last century. What social media, when it hit the scene in the early 2000s, we should have started planning then. I mean, when Netflix and Redbox just mounted Blockbuster, we should have created infrastructures then. You know, many of our leaders are resistant now to this new movement because the things in which they created, they don't know how to operate outside of what they created. And I think that's the challenge. Many of our leaders and pastors cannot grow beyond the levels in which they created. So if you created systems that's based on people being present and actively engaged, which is your ministerial programs, your Wednesday services, your Sunday services, and we never shifted to doing online classes and giving back people their hottest commodity, which is time, then now you're gonna be at a disadvantage because what this generation and a generation after me is seeking more than anything and what they value more is their time. Can I have my time? And what this digital space and virtual space has done is showing you what they value most. And I think in order for us to shift, we have to figure out as leaders and pastors, how do we give people back their times but offer them something that is effective for this next age? Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. I want you to subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com or whatever podcast or download it. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Joseph Walker 3. I look forward to connecting with you.